We're continuing our series in the book of Mark, and last week we covered the transfiguration, that, that moment on the top of, Mount, of the mountain where Jesus' figure transforms before Peter, James, and John, and they see a glimpse of his glory. But in this story, they've come down off the mountain, uh, away from the glory, and into something actually pretty dark, something evil, something that's just the reality of living as broken people in a broken world. And then not only that, but they come and they find the other nine disciples have failed, have failed in faith. And that's what our passage is about today. We're going to be talking today about the power-filled church from Mark 9, 14 through 29. And Miss Runette's going to come forward and read for us the scripture. Yeah, let's give her a hand. Good morning, New City. And when Jesus, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we ask for your power now. We ask by faith that you would be present with us here. We ask that you would continue to fill us with your spirit and that you would give us insight into your word uh, to bring yourself glory. And all God's people said, amen. amen. 
You all have been so generous with us this week as my wife is recovering from surgery. We are getting so much food and love and people texting and saying, what can we do? It is powerful and I am really thankful. Uh, Hopefully she'll be back next week here at the service, but she's home resting from the surgery and, uh, and we hope that she'll continue to recover. But I just wanna say thank you for your generosity for your intentionality. It makes me really excited and thankful to be part of a church like this, to be pastoring at this church, to be in a church where there's love and power and power. I I love thinking about a church that's full of power, full of power, spiritual power, where the church is loving their neighbors and, and looking at the evil out in the world and not shrinking back into the pews, but advancing against the darkness that we see out in our city and in our world. And, and a power-filled church seeing lives transformed by the goodness of God and his son Jesus through the gospel. And it makes me long and say, God, give us more power as a church. Help us to be a power-filled church. But there's one thing that will kill a power-filled church. There's one thing that will make a power-filled church powerless, and it's self-reliance. Self-reliance will kill a power-filled church. Self-reliance isn't the same as sort of self-dignity. We're all created in the image of God, and we all are designed to work and to do things and to live and love. Self-reliance is more like, I can do God's will without without really relying on God's help. I'm going to rely on myself. We see all the evil out there, and we, we're kind of dumb enough to go, oh, we can fight against that. We can engage that without really saying, how can we rely on God as we engage? We could say, listen, you know, lives are going to be transformed, but we don't have to pray about it to see it happen. We can just go do it. That's self-reliance, and you're shaking your heads because you already get it. Self-reliance kills spiritual power and makes a power-filled church powerless. A lot of times what happens for us is we look at the challenges in front of us and we look at the hurdles that God is calling us to advance against and we say, that's hard. And we only look at the resources we have and the strength that we have and then we lower the hurdles to something that we can step over on our own, with our own resources. And we end up shrinking the mission to something that we can accomplish in our own strength, self-reliance. And then what happens when we do that is we get into cruise control and we end up burying our heads in the sand as we see great darkness around us. Because we only think we can do what we have the ability to do because we're self-reliant, powerless. Another way is is when we get into this mode of control. And one of the ways I've seen control work out in churches and in my own heart is when we get big heads without any bruised hands. When we accumulate a lot of knowledge about God, but don't experience the power of God in our lives. We know some stuff, but we don't know the power of God to transform our lives and transform the lives of those around us. And that can make us a church that knows a lot, but does nothing because we're self-reliant. We need to know things, but we need to know things in order to see the power of God come to fruition among us. We can also be self-reliant with a dysfunctional faith 
And a dysfunctional faith looks like God's power is in my possession. It's sort of like acknowledging that God has power, but thinking it's your sword to wield rather than God's. Since God is powerful and I am with him, I must have his power in my possession. I don't need to rely on him for his power. I'm self-reliant, which doesn't make any sense at all. But you and I know that we can go there. We have a dysfunctional faith. And this is actually what I think the disciples' problem is in this particular passage. They have a dysfunctional, self-reliant faith in this story. They descend from the Mount of Transfiguration, the, uh, James, Peter, and John with Jesus after this glorious experience, and they come upon the other nine disciples. And there's an argument ensuing with a crowd and with the scribes. And, and the scribes don't have any faith. They've come looking for Jesus because they want to find something wrong with his ministry that they can then accuse him of. And the scribes have found something, not in Jesus, but in his disciples. They found fault. They found powerlessness, which is disappointing because his disciples have been commissioned to represent him as his apostles. An apostle is someone who's been physically with Jesus and is sent by Jesus to represent him as his messenger. And the disciples as his representatives have failed in some way. Jesus says, why are you arguing? What's going on here? And a man steps forward and says, my son is possessed by an evil spirit. And I came looking for you, Jesus, and I couldn't find you, so I found your other nine disciples, and they told me they can deal with this, but they were not able. The father has a son who's possessed by a demonic, dark spirit that makes him unable to speak, and it controls him, throws him down, he grinds his teeth, and his body gets rigid. And this is incredibly disappointing because Jesus has commissioned these men to be his representatives. And if they're representing him, they've represented a failure on his part. Mark 3 tells us that 12 were appointed by Jesus to preach and cast out demons. That's what Jesus said. You have the authority to do it. Mark 6 tells us again that they were given authority over unclean spirits and they're sent out and they call people to repent. They heal people and they successfully cast out demons. But in this particular situation, while still representing Jesus, they're not able to cast out the demon. Jesus is frustrated. Rather than saying, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it, watch this, he says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus coordinates their lack of power with a lack of faith. He looks around and he sees the scribes who have not come in faith but to accuse, and he says, there's no faith. He looks around and he sees the disciples' powerlessness and says, there's a lack of faith there. But even the father, who's now struggling and doubting, who came in faith, didn't he come in faith to seek healing? And disappointed by the failure of the followers, I think there's something in that for him as well. There's an encouragement to not let the failure of the followers of Jesus mean that Jesus has failed. Don't let the failures of the followers of Jesus keep you from faith. The disciples of the Messiah have let this man down, but can you still have faith in Messiah? 
There's a lesson for us there because so much of our growth as followers of Jesus is learning not to blame the failures of others on Jesus. Say amen. Amen. You know it's true. Spiritual power actually comes in a church and develops when we develop a faith that expects failure from other followers of Jesus and yet still looks to Jesus expectantly. We are to develop a faith that looks up to Jesus even when followers of Jesus let us down. Jesus is still powerful even when his followers are powerless. Jesus is still in charge and he's about to show that he's about to show his great power because he just simply says, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. And when Jesus steps forward and the boy is brought to him, the demonic presence in the boy sees Jesus and knows that there's power in Jesus and begins to react, begins to convulse and shake violently because he knows of the power of Jesus. Now at this point, if I were in Jesus' shoes, which I'm not and I never will be, I would be a little panicky. I would be a little anxious, but Jesus is not because he has power. In fact, he's so empowered, he's so powerful that he takes a moment not to just display his power, but to display his compassion for the man in the situation. This is going on right in front of him. And he looks at the man, the father, and he says, how long has he been like this? The Lord who controls the winds and the waves stops to take a moment to show compassion on the father. Jesus is not only powerful, but he's incredibly compassionate. And the man answers him and says, from childhood, he's been like this forever. And not only this, but he will also throw himself into the fire and into water. The demonic presence is trying to destroy him. The demonic presence is trying to destroy him because that's what the demonic forces do. That's what evil forces do. They deceive, they divide, and they destroy They want to destroy God-given dignity in us. They want to injure the image of God in us. And that's exactly what is happening here in this story. And so the man sees the compassion of Jesus and he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, If I can, if I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. What Jesus is saying is, look, this isn't about my ability. This is about your belief in my ability. This isn't about my power. It's about your faith in my power. It's not about my authority. I've got this covered. It's about your expectant hope in my authority. The man at this point has reasons to doubt, doesn't he? He has reasons to doubt, and we do too. Some of you have been burned by church. Some of you have been burned by church more than once, but just because you've been burned by church, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't worthy of your faith. Some of you have watched, turned on the TV, and you've seen televangelists parading around pawning off the power of God as if it was theirs to wield and you watch that on TV and you say, "Uh uh-uh, no way. But look, just because someone is parading around faking the power of God doesn't mean that Jesus is not still powerful. And it doesn't mean that he's not worthy of your belief. Some of you though feel let down by Jesus himself. 
for all honest in our life, there's an area where we feel let down by Jesus. But just because you feel let down doesn't mean that you should stop looking to him expectantly in other situations in your life. Because even if your faith is small, Jesus still receives it. Even if your faith is weak, Jesus still receives it. And the man, as he's asked by Jesus, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. The man says, I believe, help my, I believe, help my unbelief. And the amazing thing is that Jesus accepts that almost half-hearted faith because it's pointed at Jesus. It's not about the quality of this man's faith or the certainty of this man's faith. It's about the direction that this man's faith is pointed in. It's pointed towards Christ. Jesus doesn't look for perfect belief before he releases his power. He doesn't look for us to have faultless faith before he'll show us his authority. He just wants our faith to be pointed towards him. Some of us, though, have fallen into this trap of having faith in faith. I wrote a little bit on the blog this week about this. Like, you're too aware of your faith. You're too aware of the quality and the quantity, and you're analyzing your faith, and you're measuring it, and you're in this sort of mode of fake it till you make it. But your faith goes up, and your faith goes down. Your faith is strong one day, and it's weak the next day. And you need to stop looking at the size of your faith, because that's a secret form of self-reliance. Stop measuring your faith and instead point it towards Jesus. That's the very pattern of salvation. We have nothing to offer God. (laughs) He's not impressed by the fact that we think we have perfect faith because we never do. You and I are disbelieving and disobeying rebellious sinners standing before a righteous judge who's ready to drop the hammer on us. We're separated from him in our relationship. We're separated by him, from him in our plan, his plan for life because at the end of life we die. And if we die separated, we spend eternal separation from him. Our good works do not restore us. Doing something good doesn't restore a broken relationship with God. But all that does not stop God from being faithful. God sent his son to serve sinners by dying on the cross in our place. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, was sent into this world. It was put on the cross and punished in your place. And on the third day rose again so that you could be restored to a faithful God. And here's the thing, when you came to faith, your faith was like this big. You almost had nothing. If you look back on yourself when you first came to follow Jesus, you know there wasn't much there. And yet God welcomed you because of what Jesus had done, not because of what you had done. God is a powerful God and he releases his power, not based on the quality or quantity of our faith, but the direction that our faith is pointed when it's pointed towards Jesus. I I I showed this earlier and I wanna say it again because I think it's so important and will really revolutionize your life. The promises of God or the commitment of God or the faithfulness of God enables sinful, sometimes disbelieving people to put to use the promises by a faith that is focused on the trustworthiness of God and his work for us, not on the strength or purity of the believer's faith. And so when this man says, I believe, help my, Jesus accepts it. 
Jesus accepts it. Nothing else in the world works this way. Let's say that you're on the, at the altar about to give your wedding vows and the minister looks at you and says, do you take this person to be your spouse forever? And you say, I do, but I've got a lot of doubts. Wedding's over. <laughs> if you're sitting down for a job interview and your potential boss says to you, do you wanna work for this company? And you say, I, I'm, 70 to 75% sure, interview over. But when you say to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, he releases his power. Because your faith is pointed at him. And for us, as we talk about being a power-filled church, it isn't in that we're filled with powerful people. It isn't that we're filled with people who are incredibly strong in their faith but rather weak people who have learned to lean into a powerful savior. Jesus sees this weak man's faith and his weak faith and sees that it's pointed towards Jesus himself and responds with power. Jesus simply says to the demonic presence in the boy, come out of him and never enter him again. And Jesus displays his awesome power that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words. There's no dog and pony show. There's no dramatic waving a coat around on TV. Jesus speaks and it happens because Jesus is powerful. Amen. Jesus is powerful. At this point, the boy begins to convulse and scream and then the demonic presence leaves him and the boy's body is left there it looks like a corpse, and people say, I, I think he's dead. But then Jesus goes over to the boy and grabs his hand, and Mark tells us that he lifted him up and arose. Corpse dead, lifted up, arose. Death, resurrection. Mark is telling us something by the language he uses, because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And, and Mark is giving us a little preview of something, that Jesus will die and be raised up by the power of God. And you and I, if we're in him, we die and are raised to new life in this life by the power of God. Our penalty to sin is paid for, and Jesus' life is is given to us. We are united in him and we walk with him. And Mark tells us there, listen, the power of God is about new life in Christ. It's not about getting rich. It's not about becoming famous. It's not about having a problem-free life. It's about new life in him. Last week, uh, during one of the parts of the service, I invited the congregation, if any of you would like to accept Jesus into your heart, uh, come see me afterwards. And I had a bunch of people come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor, that's wrong. We've been reading David Platt's book. And, and David Platt says not to accept Jesus into your heart. And I was like, you know what? They got me. You're right. And I'm really glad that you pointed that out to me because it means you're reading your book. But the point is this, the power of God happens not when we invite Jesus into our heart as a spiritual accessory, but when we really submit our lives to him. Not just when we accept him into our heart, but when he comes into our heart and renovates it and makes our deepest desire for, to love him and to love God and to follow him no matter what the cost is. 
It's about placing your total trust and faith in him, even though your faith is incredibly weak. Submitting to him, letting him rule in your hearts. The power of Jesus overpowers the deepest evil in our own hearts and the deepest evil in this world. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe that Jesus died for the worst of sinners? Do you believe that the power of Jesus' resurrection is available to little old you? Do you believe that Jesus can help those who are struggling with belief if they point their weak little belief towards him? Jesus is powerful, and we access his power by faith, even if our faith is weak. So I want to challenge you. Stop waiting for your faith to be perfect before you do something. Move forward with weak faith, but point that weak faith at Jesus. Jesus entered into this world and he he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he poured out his spirit on us and he waits one day to come back and bring us to the new city. What are you going to do that's going to stop him from doing all that? Rest in what he has committed himself to do. And it's in that moment where you stop examining your faith and start pointing your faith towards him that real spiritual power comes into your life because you're not as aware of yourself. You're not relying on yourself. You're just looking to Jesus. We factor ourselves too much into the equation. I mean, think about this. When you share your faith, immediately we think of ourselves what do I know how to do? What can I do? What will happen? What if I don't know the answer to a question? Me, 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 self-reliance, self-reliance. Jack Miller, who I've been reading a lot this week, said something like this. He just said, most of our problems are really faith problems, and faith problems means self-reliance problems. We don't see people come to Christ because we don't think that, that they can through us. We think that somehow, if we're in the equation, it discounts God's power from working in their life. But here's the thing. Jesus will bring people to himself, and he will use you to do it, regardless of who you are, if you point your weak faith towards him. If you point your weak faith towards him. Do you have confidence that God really means the free offer of the gospel? That he really means it? And you're not going to get in the way when you share the gospel? God is going to use you to grow his kingdom, to bring people to Christ. But we're often so busy just discounting ourselves because of how weak we are instead of pointing our weak faith at Jesus. The power-filled church is not filled with strong people. The power-filled church is full of people who are learning not to rely on themselves. It's full of weak people who expect God to use them despite their weakness. Sinful people who expect God to use them despite their sinfulness. Filled with spiritual power because they point their weak faith at Jesus who is powerful. Jack said this as well, Jack Miller. Let me urge you upon the importance of cultivating faith if you are able to walk in love and spiritual power. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
But those who believe, those who believe with weak faith are given more grace than they can handle. Believing is to expect God to be with you and to change you and to change others. Therefore, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. When the work is dull and routine or people are slipping away, go forth with new boldness and preach Christ until you are filled with faith yourself and God works faith in others. Even when we were talking about this with the worship team, sometimes faith means not waiting until you have faith, but just stepping forward and then expecting your faith to kind of follow. And in that, that's the expression of faith. Think of it this way. All the powers of hell and earth are ranged against the gospel and your ministry. He's writing this to a pastor, but I hope you can see how it applies to your life. All the powers of hell will not compromise. Therefore, don't expect it from them. Don't expect the enemy to coddle you. He will continue to attack from every quarter, at night, on the streets, in your meetings, wherever. This is a take-no-prisoners kind of war, and we must not compromise with evil in any form. Therefore, resist. Fight with all your hearts against evil in yourself and others. Seek holiness through faith in the blood of Christ and live boldly out of your union with him. You are in him, and he is in you. Don't doubt it. On that basis, keep at it. The power-filled church is filled with the power of Jesus, not because of their strength or their own power, because, but because their weak faith is pointed at Christ. Their weak faith is pointed at Christ, and that's expressed through prayer. Expressed through prayer. Jesus takes the disciples aside after the, the demon has left the boy, and they ask him, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I think that's a sobering warning for us because prayerlessness equals self-reliance. And I've learned about myself this week that I'm incredibly self-reliant. I've preached this sermon before. And with everything going on in my life, I had a copy of this text and something that I wanted to preach. And my first thought when I hit Monday was, I've got this. I've done it before. You can laugh at me as long as you're honest about yourselves. (laughs) And uh, this week was a really hard week. It was a really hard week. And I saw my sin in ways as I was challenged. I saw my lack of faith, but I realized at the beginning of this week that I was being incredibly self-reliant. And I went back to the text and actually the text did a number on me because I just read the whole sermon. It took me to a deep place where I realized how self-reliant I am, how much I think I can do God's will without God's help. How much I think transformation is just like pushing a button rather than spending before time, time before God in prayer. And it deeply changed me. I came up with a, ended up with a totally different place in this sermon because God was rooting out my self-reliance. See, faith in Jesus and his power through prayer roots out that self-reliance and, and it teaches us to root out the evil in our own hearts and gives us power to advance against the evil we see in our city. The reality of the brokenness in our city. It gives us power in that. And so if you want to be 
a power-filled church, if you want to see Jesus' power released in the midst of darkness, commit to pray and pray expectantly. One of the things the Lord showed me this week was that I often don't pray expectantly. I pray ceremonially. I pray ceremonially rather than expectantly. But to pray expecting God to do something, what other hope do we have? And yet God is gracious to release his power when we come to him in prayer. There's an organization called the International Justice Mission. And International Justice Mission is a Christian organization that focuses on rescuing victims of slavery and sexual exploitation around the world. And in 2011, 1,000 staff and friends of International Justice Mission gathered for one night of prayer in a hotel ballroom. 1,000 people decided to stay up the entire night and pray. And they were praying specifically for the end of bonded labor in countries around the world where bonded labor is legal. And bonded labor is basically you're a slave and you're working for us and we're not going to let you go. Um, So they prayed expectantly and yet agonizingly all night. 1,000 people for the end of bonded labor in countries where bonded labor was allowed and permitted. Countries like India. Four weeks later, in Chennai, outside of Chennai, India, in a little village, um, a local official decided to raid a brick factory where they had people enslaved working making bricks. The conditions in these factories are atrocious. There's kids that are kept in there. It's awful. You can go and look it up online. Um, These, he decided to raid this factory with police, local police, and they freed a ton of people. They took them, they gave them health care, and set them free from a life of bondage. 143 families, 522 total people were freed. The person in charge at the brick factory was arrested. Do you think that has anything to do with what happened four weeks earlier? 1,000 people praying for freedom from the exact same thing. It's quite amazing that they prayed such bold prayers because in praying for something like that to happen, they're not praying for a chance opening of a door and like 30 people run out. What they're really praying for is institutional change at a governmental level. And yet that's what happened. A local official decided to raid a brick factory. They prayed boldly. They prayed expectantly because they believed that if even they pointed their weak faith at Jesus, his power would be released. He would do something about it. The power-filled church advances against the darkness with Jesus' power, by faith, even if it's weak, but through prayer, through prayer. And I think the challenge for us is you want to know where your faith's at, uh, how do you pray? Do you pray expectantly or do you pray ceremonially? The amazing thing is, is that Jesus takes our prayers and we can come to him with our prayerlessness and say, Jesus, I can't even pray expectantly. I can't even rely on myself to pray expectantly. Work faith in me. And when we do that, he loves it because we're pointing our weak faith at him. So let me encourage you, don't stop praying against the darkness. Don't stop praying against the darkness in your own life. Don't give in. 
Don't give in to the things that you know are evil and come out of your own heart. Don't start, stop praying against the, the darkness that you see in your relationships. Don't, don't stop praying for those people in your life that are struggling with addiction or, or overcome by something. Don't stop praying for those in our city who are in just really dark, broken situations. That's why we pray every Wednesday. We pray for our city, our church, and ourselves. Because we believe as weak people, when we point our faith at the power, at powerful Jesus, he loves it. And he moves. And he releases his power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray expectantly this morning, asking that you would work in our own lives and that you would change us and make us more like you. I pray for those who are struggling right now that they're, they're just overcome with their own sin, Lord. Help them not to give in and give up, but to continue to fight by uh, your power. Lord, I pray for all of us. We, we desperately need you to work faith in us and remind us that you don't need us to be perfect. You just need us to point our faith towards you. Lord, make us a church of weak, desperate people who recklessly throw ourselves on you. And therefore, make us a church full of your power not our own strength. And all God's people said, amen.